Hey there, welcome back to Community Therapy. This is the podcast that gives you an authentic behind the scenes look at the world of community building, brought to you by High Fright. I'm Morgan Wood, your host, and together this season, we're exploring the highs, lows, and everything that's in between that comes with being a community professional, along with some of the most inspiring community builders. Today, I'm absolutely thrilled to introduce you to Carrie Melissa Jones, an online community strategist and award-winning author, who's truly a force in our field. Our deep dive for today, we're not shying away from the value of failure. Intrigued? So am I. So grab your favorite beverage, get to your comfy favorite spot, and let's kick things off with a community confession. Today's confessions is as follows. Dear community therapy, like a lot of community professionals, I kind of stumbled into my role, meeting community expectations, my fear of failure, and my limited resources, among other things, have led my confidence to taking a hit. I often find myself feeling like an imposter. Do you have any tips on how to deal with this and how I can be kinder to myself? Oh, man. (laughs) This, I feel like I have thought all of this and experience all of this right alongside you, Anonymous. So thank you so much for writing in. Carrie, what are your initial thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I felt all of this too, from the like <laughs> stumbling into my role, which I feel like is the majority of us, um, to, you know, having really high expectations for yourself or feeling like other people have them and, and, and feeling like an imposter, all that's, I mean, I would just say it's normal. It's okay. That would be the number one thing to take away from this is like, take a deep breath because it's more normal than not uh, to feel these things. Absolutely. And I think at, you know, pretty much every stage of your career, um, mm-hmm. community building and, you know, in professional life in general, um, really having to find ways to be kinder to ourselves. Um, yeah. I think it's ever growing process or ever evolving process, if you will. So Carrie, I'm so excited to have you on today because I think that you're going to give us so much valuable insight and how to conquer not only this imposter syndrome that we all deal with, but also, you know, just teaching us a little bit how to be kinder to ourselves as community managers. Mm -hmm. So with that said, would you mind sharing a little bit more with us about how to level up as a digital leader? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's, there's so much here. <laughs> There's so, so much here. Um, I think the number, the, the, the first thing to keep in mind is that, um, a lot of people, a lot of community managers, especially don't look at themselves as leaders and that mindset transition from I'm a community manager, or I, I moderate my community, or I put together the content strategy and I'm friends with my members too. I am a digital leader. So yeah. this requires of me different skill sets than I thought potentially, um, that that's a really big leveling up moment when you even decide that that's what you're here to do. Um, now what that really means is, uh, when we're leaders, our role is about influence and, um, creating change and transformation in people's lives and communities at their best enable progress and transformation for our members. So they need leadership. (laughs) And so a community without that strong leadership is going to, a lot of times you'll see engagement dipping. You'll see, um, you know, people just not participating actively, or you'll have like a couple of people who are really active and they're kind of leading because no one else is. Um, and so in the, in the vacuum of leadership, people will 
do what they can to fill it, but you'll see that reflected in your metrics. And so when we as community managers decide, I am the digital leader of this space, I am here to hold the container for it, hold the space for it, to help steward people on their journey through progress, through transformation, whether that's something personal or professional, um, it's a major shift in how they can show up. And the thing about leadership and a lot of community managers don't have formal leadership training. A lot of people don't have formal leadership training (laughs) is that it's an, it's a mind game. It's a mind game. It's more about the being than the doing. And so these feelings about uh, having really high expectations of yourself, feeling like you might fail, um, your confidence taking a hit, all of that, that's part of the leadership mind game. Um, and there's not much we can do. Like we can't work our way through those things. I, I wish, because I'm a very type A person, I could be like, here's the five item <laughs> checklist that you need to follow. And then you will never worry about this again. But it's a practice in being a leader and leaders make mistakes. Leaders fail. Leaders apologize. Leaders work with very limited resources. And so when you realize you're part of that kind of uh, role, you're working alongside people who are doing incredible work all over the world, who are also leaders. It can put your struggles and challenges into that wider context, which I think is really helpful versus thinking like, I'm the only person that feels this way. And uh, (laughs) I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a community manager and like other people don't understand me. Like, no, you're a digital leader. And there are a lot of leaders out there who feel what you're feeling right now. And you're not alone. So I think that's a, a really big shift that needs to happen. Um, and, you know, hopefully this person can see that for themselves, that, yeah. that their high expectations for themselves, all of that is, is normal, is a normal part of leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I want to say is one of my mentors, one of my coaches, actually, her name is Tanya Geisler. She specializes in um, the imposter complex, uh, which she's very specific. It's not a syndrome because that would be like a mental health diagnosis. Right. Um, it's not a, a mental health thing. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's uh, it's a complex. It's something that happens to all of us in different capacities. And there's also layers of like sexism, racism, classism, all these things built into the imposter complex. Um, and so what she has, like, I would say my major takeaway from her, there are so many, um, but my major, major takeaway from her is that a lot of times when we're feeling stuck in that imposter complex or like, who am I to do this? Right. Or, you know, these kinds of questions that, that come up for ourselves or like, I don't know what I'm doing, like, and feeling stuck through that. Um, what she says is one of the reasons why we feel that way is because typically we value excellence. Yeah. So it's not that we're failing. It's that our value of excellence and doing a good job is really, really high. And we're trying really hard to meet that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we feel like if we've never done this thing before, or if it's new or we're navigating situations, we've never navigated like we don't even know what excellence looks like in that situation. So no wonder you feel like an imposter. Right. Um, but if you can acknowledge that, like, I want to do excellent work here and maybe, maybe excellence looks like 
actually definitely excellence does not look like getting this right and doing it perfectly, especially in community building or anything interpersonally with, with human beings Yeah, does not look like it. It doesn't even look like doing it right. I actually right. think there's very few things in this work that are right and wrong, yeah. black and white. It's very neutral most of the yes. time. And then yeah. we're applying the, the pressures. Yes. And I, I absolutely love the distinction you made between complex versus syndrome, because I think with even just with that, we could have a whole hour conversation on, like you said, the ways that even giving it that moniker is then um, doing ourselves a disservice because then we're viewing it as something that's innate to us versus yes. how institutions are built or how, um, you know, overall, this is being, this is a complex. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um. And, you know, for some of us, there are mental health challenges wrapped up in it too, that we need to deal with in, you know, in whatever way makes sense for us, if it's therapy or medication or whatever else. Um, And so distinguishing those things is really important. I would say as someone who struggles with depression myself and doing this work can be a little triggering to that at times, um, that, uh, that having, uh, support through that is really, really important to parse out what's mine and what's not mine. And also to figure out like, how long have I been feeling this way? Is this just something that kind of comes and goes over like a specific incident or is this a baseline? Like I'm feeling like crap all the time. Cause then I need, I need help, you know? Um, yeah. And you know, in what you were saying too, about kind of this lens that as we're looking at feeling like an imposter and making the realization like I just had right now (laughs) that, okay, imposter complex. And you're looking at the work that you're doing with such high um, expectations uh, for yourself or that level of excellence. Um, When you were talking about the the neutrality of nothing is necessarily good or necessarily bad about what you're doing in your community, how did you come to that in your community journey? It's mm, a great question. Um, yeah, because I would, I, I, there's actually a very specific moment in yeah. my career where I made that realization. Um, in the first several years of my career, maybe even the first decade of my career, I did not know that. Um, <clears throat> what year would this would have, I would have probably would have been around 20 16, 2015, no, 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, so up until then in my career, I thought like there are ways of doing things and ways of not doing things. Yep. And, um, then I started to notice that I, I started my own business, um, started doing consulting full-time and, uh, that's when shit really hit the fan. I don't know if I can cuss on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That's when shit really hit the fan because I, you know, like I had to be really visible. I had to, um, you know, I couldn't stand in somebody else's shadow anymore. I had to, um, share what I thought. And with that came, um, people criticizing things that I was doing like one specific person who I will not name on this podcast. (laughs) I literally, I would, I, I, I launched a, a community with, uh, I was working on a presidential campaign and this yeah. person posted my work online and critiqued all the things that I, that the client had done. They, they, they would do differently. 
<laughs> so <laughs> not the kindest thing in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I remember uh, I had just started working with a coach because I was simultaneously writing the book, Building Brain Communities with Charles uh, Vogel. And um, the wave of like the criticism and uh, the toughness of the work, plus me writing this book. When I tell you, I felt like an imposter. That is a massive understatement. I felt like I was like drowning in, like, I can't move forward. And uh, Charles was like, you need a, a, you need an executive coach (laughs) because you're not going to be able to do this. Like there's some blocks going on. So, um, so I started working, uh, with someone who's incredible during this time and her whole approach to like the challenges I I was facing opened up the idea of dualities, like pretty much useless. (laughs) to us. So I was explaining to her the situation where someone was critiquing my work. Yeah. And, uh, she asked me, what if this person isn't, cause I was saying this person's mean and wrong and blah, blah, blah. She's like, what if they're not wrong? And I was, I was so upset that she asked like, me that question. <laughs> I was like, you're supposed to be on my side. I'm paying you. <laughs> Wait a minute. Record yeah. Scratches. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And, um, yeah, I was, I was angry and I, and then I, I sat with that for a while and, and I was like, you know what? He is wrong and he's not wrong. Yeah. He is wrong and he's not wrong. And I'm wrong and I'm not wrong. Yeah. And, um, it was like this epiphany moment because I realized I can let that person be whoever they want to be. They can come and publicly criticize my work. If that's the energy they want to put into the world, that's their decision. I then get to decide what am I going to do with that? Am I going to let my blood boil about it and get in a Twitter argument with them? (laughs) Cause I, that was my inclination and I did do that and I regretted it. Um, right to the drafts. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, exactly. I should should never hit post. It was like a week of me being like this drowning feeling like I can't go on. And then, um, I sat with that and I was like, yeah, we all just get to make decisions. And at that point, I started to see and continue to see, and it drives me crazy. Um, people who put out like tweets or LinkedIn posts or whatever saying, this is how you do community. This is, this is the right way to do it. This is how you respond in this situation. Or like what I see a lot of is like, there are two types of community builders in this (laughs) one and two. It's like, that is useless. Oh my gosh. And it's usually bare again, like there's layers of sexism and racism and all these things built into these, all the isms, all the isms. Yeah. Um, (laughs) and, and I think, you know, one thing that makes community work really hard to train people in is that it's so context specific. Yes. Like everything is about context. If you don't understand the business context that that community is existing in, the members, who they are, what they need, um, their personalities, where they have like communication apprehension or not, or all of that, I, I can almost never give one size fits all advice. I, I, I can never really give one size fits all advice, right. um, which is why I consult and don't <laughs> like, that's, that's what I do. Um, I can go really deep. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, yeah, I think that that realization came from, it came from feeling terrible mm-hmm. um, and realizing that, that that thought was actually like caging me in a lot yeah. of ways. Absolutely. And then I could open up 
after that. So then you have this epiphany, which I'm sure was sort of like a, <laughs> the clouds part in the very dreary <laughs> sky of where you're at. The sun is shining down. And in Seattle. So yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you go. And so the sun is shining and you're like, wait a minute. I actually hold all of the answers. I actually hold the expertise. And as you're going through this executive coaching, you know, what type of skills were you building for, for that? Like you're looking back at it, it, you already possessed it, but what was kind of being fine-tuned um, throughout that process that maybe you weren't giving yourself enough credit for, or you weren't necessarily aware of yet? Yeah, I think, um, so one of the aspects of that coaching was also um, the importance of taking in the complexity of the world. And one of the ways in which um, the coach did this, she she actually was a piano player and she would, I know, <laughs> like, <laughs> um, she would play music and she asked me to listen between the notes of the mm. music. And also just to simply like listen to music and feel into what was coming up during it, which I had never, you know, all of us subconsciously, when we listen to music, it, it changes how we feel and, and all of these things. Music is magical. Um, but, uh, that's one example, or she would say she, she encouraged me to start a habit of like every night before, I, cause I have a dog. When I walk yeah. my dog, when I go outside and walk him simply open my senses to mm-hmm. everything that's going on. And the one thing she said was just listen, I just want you to go outside and listen, stand still and listen. And, uh, similarly to listening to the music, you realize there's so much like richness all around you. Like I would stand outside in the courtyard of my apartment building where I was living and I could hear, you know, traffic sounds, birds chirping, even at night, um, airplanes flying ahead, wind, like things Mm -hmm. I never was even aware of before. Yes, And you start to realize through that, that there is so, 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 so much depth and complexity in every moment of our lives. And again, it's like being aware of like, at any moment I can tap into that. Things can feel like really, really small. When we get into this, like myopic, um, what I, what I'm feeling from this, this confession is really like this person is really focusing on themselves and really focusing in on like, oh my gosh, um, almost getting like a sense of rigidity around like, yeah. and scarcity around, like, I don't have enough resources. I don't blah, 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 blah. All it's not enough, yeah. but at any moment we can say, take a deep breath and say, okay, what can I be open to yeah. in this moment? What is possible yeah. just right now? And, uh, it's such a, like, it's, talking through this right now, it seems like so simple. Um, but it, it changes everything. If you can just do that. It really does. And like in my own therapy work, I, my therapist very similarly, like go outside and just listen to everything that's going on. Or, you know, when you're feeling really overwhelmed, one thing that really changed the game for me more recently over the last year is like realizing that when you're in tunnel vision mode, sort of like how I'm seeing this, um, you're in your tunnel and it's almost as if all, if you're in a wind tunnel, it's very loud and it's very like, Mm -hmm. you can hear the wind. And that's sort of like how 
I think I experienced tunnel vision with like a lot of noise, a lot of thoughts that maybe aren't necessarily my own. It's judgments. I think I'm Mm -hmm. perceiving others. And it's very hard as a community manager, when you're working with so many individuals and you're, um, working with so many needs and expectations, like it's very easy to be in that wind tunnel, but when you're able to step outside of it and just look at it from a neutral place, like you were saying, of like, this isn't necessarily good or bad. I'm the human who's here to help um, this builder or this member. Um, that, that was, you know, a moment in my career over the last year where I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> I don't yeah. have this level of stress and scarcity, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really relate to this confession because it's really easy to, to be there. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think what's really powerful about that. And what you just said too, is it's not that you're never going to feel that either. You're going to feel it again. You're not going to conquer it. And then all of a sudden you will never feel (laughs) scarce and rigid or never feel that again. (laughs) (laughs) But, but what you said is like, you can become aware of it faster. Yeah. If you go outside or do whatever it is that you need to do to kind of like hit that reset button. And that is that is the practice. That is the practice of, of leadership truly, um, of simply being aware of when that's happening. And then you get to make a decision at that point. How do I want to proceed now that I'm aware that I'm going into this tunnel vision Mm -hmm. mode? Do I want to stay in it? Is it actually serving me right now? It might be because you really need to get something done and you've got to just shut everything out. But more often than not, it's actually, I don't want to create and connect from this place of frenzy. I want to do it from a place of service and care. And I'm not in that place right now. So what do I need? Maybe I need some water. Maybe I, you know, need to take a walk around the block. Maybe I need five deep breaths and I can just reset or take a nap, which is, that's usually my thing. I take a lot of naps. I love it. Love a good nap. Love a good nap. <laughs> Able to just really like give yeah. yourself a reset. Cause I think that's the hardest part. And also the first step of like just being able to identify when you're yes. feeling like you're in the tunnel. And then from there, and you're starting to notice, like, oh, I realize I'm getting in this tunnel when I'm trying to do like I for a while I tried to do like the power hour at the beginning of the day, like do all the tasks I hate. Man, did that oh, <laughs> yeah. a terrible way to start the day. Yeah. yeah. It was like swallowing the frog. Yeah. yeah. The frog. Like that that didn't work for me and my personality. Yeah. But it, it, in experimenting with that made me realize, oh, this is putting me in my tunnel. Yes. <laughs> this is making me feel very stressed out. And so yeah. over time it's been easier. And so like you know, with kind of that example, uh, Carrie, how do you recommend kind of navigating this, like with confidence? Like, how do you confidently, like holding these two truths of both, like things are neutral, but you're also going to wind up sometimes in this tunnel state. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you think community builders should kind of approach this? Mm -hmm. One of the big misconceptions about confidence is that confidence is the belief that you're always right Mm. or the belief that you always have the solution. I actually think confidence is being very, very comfortable with the fact that you are a human being 
who makes mistakes and you're going to make them and true confidence comes from a place of flexibility, um, and grace toward yourself and others. Um, so I think a lot of people mistake confidence as there's, a, there's so many books and Ted talks out there <laughs> about like, if you stand this way or take this posture right. or, um, you know, talk in a certain way or change yourself, um, th- that you will appear more confident. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some value to that, especially for those of us who play it small and we physically play it small for a variety of reasons, often contribute yeah. like because of childhood trauma. Um, there's definitely value in bringing those behaviors more into our everyday. But like I said, I think true confidence comes from, and the behaviors and, uh, even how you hold yourself changes when you become extremely comfortable with this idea of like, my job is not to know everything. My job is not to be right all the time. My job is to be open, help people make decisions, um, come up with creative ideas, uh, lead my team, lead, uh, my community and just simply like be with people. Um, and that is, that's something that it's, it's hard to teach, right? Is you really only get there by doing really uncomfortable things a lot of the time. Yeah. So like as a consultant, when I first started out, so prior to consulting, I, um, was building the business CMX and, um, during that time, I definitely was playing it very, very small. And mm-hmm. even when I started consulting, I was afraid to have the conversations I knew that needed to be had with leadership. Um, and I see this a lot with my coaching clients too, with my community managers that I work with. They're like, well, I can't bring this to my, you know, VP of marketing or VP of product marketing or whoever it might be that they need to bring something to because they're going to question me and blah, 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 or they're going to think I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and I had that same idea of like, if I don't have a solution already mapped out, then I shouldn't even start this conversation. And so, um, what would happen is that I, I would develop these solutions or say like, here's your launch plan or whatever, hand them off. And then in practice, things would go sideways. And that's because we didn't have the hard conversations that needed to happen. Um, and over time, I've started to have those, ask those questions of, of leaders. Yeah. Really the hard questions, like, are you sure that that's the path that we want to go down or um, have you thought about it this way? And I will say like from a purely skills development standpoint that, um, I've taken a coactive training in uh, how to coach people. That's been extremely helpful. Um, facilitation skills, how to facilitate like workshops and, uh, open conversations. Daniel Stillman is one of my teachers in that area. He's incredible. He wrote the book, good talk. Um, all of that helps to build up that confidence and it only happens by doing the thing. And then you all of a sudden realize once you start doing it, that like people don't know the answers they're okay. Being questioned as long as you're not like being a jerk about it, you know, right. like, acting like, you know, <laughs> or you're like leading them to something. Uh, but going in with curiosity, I think is really important, but, um, yeah, I think it comes through 
brave practice. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, kind of um, when you were talking, I was thinking about when, you know, when I work with community managers, um, oftentimes what I hear pretty regularly is they are very attuned to what is, what, what, uh, what decisions are being made by leadership, for example, um, and how it's impacting their community and then not necessarily feeling comfortable to voice that and Mm -hmm. not having the confidence yet to bring that to them because they don't have the solution. And so then there's this values mismatch that really can come up and feel so um, visceral for the community manager. But then I've seen on a few times where then they bring it up and it's addressed pretty quickly and leadership's like, oh, thanks for bringing that to our attention. And so again, sort of like that tunnel where we put so much focus on excellence for ourselves in even delivering curiosity or just flagging, (laughs) flagging, using corporate (laughs) space, (laughs) circling back to something (laughs) 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 to be vulnerable and say like, Hey, I I think this thing might be going sideways or, Mm -hmm. um, so I really relate to that um, when you're talking about that. Yeah, I see that too. It seems like a lot of community managers think, and the way they even describe the things that happen, it's like things are happening to them or at them. They are they are not in control. And there are some power structures and corporate structures in which that is absolutely the case. And yeah, we've got to just do what we can with what we have. Yeah. But more often than not, we have more power and influence than we give ourselves credit for. Yeah. Um And just like you said, it's as easy as not as easy as I should say it's as simple, but requires bravery as saying, um, you know, for example, like, Hey, you've moved me from the marketing team into this like growth hacking and acquisition team. And here's what my role entails in the programs that I run. And they're not going to be able to deliver that value. So what do we want to do about this? Do we want to completely overhaul the programs that I run or am I under the wrong team actually? And we should talk about that or something else. So yeah, yeah, those conversations are really important. I think we underestimate how much leaders appreciate, like our corporate leaders appreciate that, um, transparency and questioning. Um, cause just like us, (laughs) they're like, (laughs) I'm making the best decision that I can with the information that I have. And if you give me more information, then I might change my mind. Um, and again, I'll caveat this with not all companies, not all leaders. Again, that's why context is so critical. So critical. Absolutely <laughs> toxic leadership in some companies where it's just like, there's no point. Just right. Yeah. But again, like you always have a choice. You always, always, always have a choice. Like, are you going to lean into that toxic leadership and let it steamroll you? Or are yeah. you going to, say, I have a choice. I'm going to do what I can in these constraints until I find out something else or yeah. find another job, find another team, <laughs> whatever that might mean. Exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> so things are not happening to us. We do yeah. have control and agency. Yeah. And I, I love that point too, because it's um, also, you know, puts the power back with, you know, our yeah. anonymous uh, community manager who's writing in or anyone listening with, you do have a choice and, you know, giving yourself that credit again, it's coming back to not holding yourself to that level of excellence. And I think, you know, the one thing um, I wanted to just touch on before we wrap up is, 
you know, the thing I'm thinking of most with all of this conversation is, you know, what, what ways can community managers really lean into being comfortable with not knowing it all? Because <laughs> it's, I think it's, like you said, it's as simple as doing this, but um, in your career, I know we talked about uh, earlier with like your epiphany um, that you had, but when we're getting comfortable, um, what does that look like? Because I think oftentimes we hear, you know, self-care and, you know, mm-hmm. go and do it this way. Um, yeah. But I'm wondering if anything jumps out to you for how to get comfortable, like how to enter this mess and make sense of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think self-care is necessarily the answer to this. Yeah. The, the most important thing to keep in mind is that rest is a requirement for our yes. work and actually getting, so for example, if you take a class in something like, um, I just finished my uh, master's degree. And so I was going through a lot of classes and reading so very, 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 very much in a short period of time. And I noticed that when I didn't sleep a lot, I wasn't able to process the information. I wasn't able to like synthesize it, but then I would get a good night's rest or like take a couple of days away from something. And I'd come back to it. And I'd say, this makes sense now, just mm-hmm. magically. Like our brains are working even when they're not working. Yeah. Um, and the same holds true for community work too. Yeah. We can't just be working all the time. We need time to rest process um, start to synthesize and then move forward. So, you know, what that looks like and what's possible for you are going to vary from person to person. That might mean like you work until exactly 5 PM every day. And then you just let yourself do the things, you know, you need to do to rest your brain, not think about work, like turn everything off. Um, that works for some people. Other people, you know, they feel like they need to check in all the time. That's fine. But at least you need to have pockets of time where you're not thinking about it, where you can do the thing, other things that you love in your life. Um, and, uh, there's another thing that's come out of my, that came out of coaching that I have gone through is, um, that as, as you move up in your career, as you move up through leadership positions and achieve more influence, that this rest is not a nice to have self-care is not a nice to have. You literally cannot show up and do the things you need to do if you are not caring for yourself. So if caring for yourself looks like, you know, going to the gym once a week or twice a week or whatever, if you don't do that, then you're not doing your job actually. (laughs) And if that helped, that helps some people, especially like type A folks like myself, where I'm like, you know, I'm not going to go to the gym because I have other things to do today. It's like, no, this is a part of my job. I need to do this. It at least gets me out of the house, you know, and then I can like (laughs) really be in the experience. Um, cause a lot of us are, we have trouble being accountable to ourselves, which is why another thing I I would say is that, um, the practice of of getting more comfortable with this requires having a group of people that you can talk to through the challenges, um, share what's happening and coming up for you. Other community managers will get you. We just like get each other on a level. (laughs) Like you just don't have to do some explaining that you would have to do to somebody who doesn't do this work. And so I can't encourage that enough. And community managers are just like the most warm, wonderful people on this planet. So 
yeah, finding those people that, that are also on a similar journey to you and you feel comfortable sharing that with is, is really key. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, Carrie, I feel like we could talk all day. I know. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Do I really have to get back to work? I know. (laughs) Carrie, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us. Um, To everyone listening, thank you for being with us. If you got something on your mind, whether it's a question, a comment, or possibly a juicy confession, drop us a line in our inbox, communitytherapy at hivebright.com, or leave us a voicemail at speakpipe.com forward slash communitytherapy. We'd love to hear from you. A massive thank you to Carrie Melissa Jones for being with us today. Don't forget to follow her on LinkedIn to see what she's up to next. Before we sign off, let's not forget, while we're here for all things community, we are not a replacement for professional therapy. If you're facing a mental health challenge, don't hesitate to reach out to organizations like the National Alliance on Mental Illness or Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. There's no shame in seeking help. In fact, it's a sign of strength. If you enjoyed our chat today, hit the subscribe button on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts and follow us on LinkedIn to get all the latest updates and insights in the world of community building. Community therapy is powered by Hivebright, an all-in-one platform that makes building, managing, and growing your community a breeze. Thank you so much for listening and we can't wait to catch you next time on Community Therapy.